Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF. And joining me, the MVP of the preseason, working harder than anyone in the fantasy football world to get every piece of fantasy-relevant data out to the masses immediately after the starters leave the field during each preseason game. He is the one and only Nathan Yonke. Nate, I hope that between the grind of preseason games this weekend that you at least got some R&R in there. So how you doing after this weekend? I'm doing pretty well still, probably a little tireder than I'd like to be right now, but at least got some sleep each of the nights, but definitely grinding through preseason. I think yesterday I was counting and I think I either had published or wrote 10 different articles that either went up or are going up either today or tomorrow. So still have more (laughs) articles to go, but definitely enjoyed having the preseason back and having new information that we could actually like have tangible rather than just people speculating based off what we've seen in training camp so far so it was nice to see what some of these teams are starting to think about some of these players yeah it's it's so fun man like the the preseasons it, it's just it it's a it's the first signs like the real signs in game that we get for these players the first kind of hints and clues um of what teams are going to do with their players this season it, it's really exciting definitely more information than what training camp is which is just basically reports from um open portions of practices and things like that right so um yeah it's nice to get some football in there and yeah appreciate you being able to get all that information out there um so quick to uh, all of our fantasy followers. Um, Speaking of fantasy, we do have a couple big pieces of fantasy news that dropped before we hit record today, uh, which was great timing. The first one being that Indianapolis Colts running back Jonathan Taylor is back with the team today. He's continuing his hold in apparently and is still on the pup list, but he is back in some kind of sort of not all the way way. Um, Nate, it's not confirmation that he'll play week one, but it it's at least a start. Uh, yeah, it's good news. And it's at least a pretty clear sign that he'll be with the team. Most likely, like I'm going to guess the hold in will last for the rest of the preseason, probably. So he doesn't have to worry about practicing or potentially getting himself hurt over these next couple weeks. But I think it's a pretty clear sign that he'll play week one. I think the only thing will be if they ease him in a little bit or if they're trying to send a message by not playing him as much week one. But I think by week two, you're probably just fine. So I had been slowly but surely moving him down my rankings a little bit. We'll probably bounce him back up a little bit after this news. But you're not drafting him based on what he's going to do week one. You're drafting him based on what he's going to do all the other weeks. So definitely not as concerned now as I was before. Yeah, for sure. Definitely promising news there for Jonathan Taylor. I'm sure we'll get more updates as the the season draws near as well. Um, Another running back that we did at least get word that uh, J.K. Dobbins has been activated off the PUP list. Uh, though he hasn't practiced with the team yet during camp. Um, I know you've been saying all along that you think Dobbins is going to play week one as well. And and this certainly also feels like a step in in the right direction. Uh, Yeah, him getting off the list probably means that they expect him to be back soon. So it's just another case of a running back's not happy with his contract. The one thing that he can do is not participate in training camp. So that's what he's doing. But really not too much else that running backs can do at this point. So fully expect him back, even though it might not be for the preseason, but I still expect him back week one. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about it last episode too, right? In the risers and fallers, he was kind of falling. Gus Edwards was rising that that's probably going to level back out again um, now with this news too. So um, last piece of news before we get going, Zach Ertz, uh, who is not even nine months removed from his torn ACL has been cleared to play is apparently on track to start week one. Um, This one, at least for me came as a bit of a surprise. Where would you maybe now consider drafting Ertz amongst like fantasy tight ends this season yeah I think one this is definitely good news for him the fact that he's back so it'll be good to see him and play um it'll be interesting to see how much he ends up practicing if he I doubt he plays in the preseason but it's a case where it seemed like there's a chance that Arizona could cut him once he's healthy rather than keep him on the team with Trey McBride there but I'll be very interesting to see if they uh, do keep him on the team. I probably still won't be drafting him just because they still have Trey McBride there. So if anything, I feel like this will be a rotation. There's at least a chance Ertz could win his job back, in which case this could be fairly good. But I could also see this being a problem for someone like Rondale Moore, since I would expect this to lead to more two tight end sets if they do keep Ertz. Um, as we not to get ahead of myself too much, but we did see in the preseason that Moore was just playing in three wide receiver sets, unlike what he was doing at times last year. So if he's just playing in three wide receiver sets and they're using two more, t- more two tight end sets, that means less playing time for Moore. So um, that might be my biggest takeaway is I probably am not trusting either Cardinals tight end as long as they're still both on the roster and it's potentially a little bad news for Moore. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the big thing for me too. I I'm definitely not as interested in, in Trey McBride anymore. Um, and yeah, Zach Ertz, there's still question marks there about that offense and what it'll look like. So makes him a little bit risky, even, even though he's uh, looking like he'll be healthy for week one, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into so much more. I mean, there is a lot to talk about from every game this preseason, you know, who started, who sat out, who played in what offensive personnel packages, who got left out. Um, did any running backs separate themselves from their backfield competition or, or are they doomed to, you know, those headache inducing committees um, plus so much more. So I, I can't wait to get into it. So I'll shut up in a minute so that we can figure it all out. We'll start with running backs and things like that. But first we do have to give a quick shout out to our wonderful presenting sponsor fabric by Gerber life. As a parent, your child's well-being is your top priority. You want to see them chase their dreams, embrace life's adventures, and thrive in this world. But you also know life can be unpredictable, and that's why it's important to plan for the unexpected so they can continue to thrive no matter what. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help get you a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com fantasy. That's meetfabric.com fantasy. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash fantasy policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, here we go. We won't go 
over every single game. Instead, we'll kind of hit on the the top 10 most interesting and fantasy relevant storylines to come out of week one of the preseason. Um, If you do want to get in on something that we don't end up covering today that you were interested in from this past weekend, then you'll more than likely find it in Nate's fantasy game recap, which he did for every single game. So be sure to check those out on pff.com if you haven't already. With that being said, let's start with the running backs and in Philadelphia, where we did not see Kenneth Gainwell or Boston Scott, but we did see DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny. So, Nate, what did the Eagles tell us about their approach to the running back position based on this game? Yeah, this was a fairly confusing thing that happened with the Eagles running backs here. Um, We did get reports about two days before the preseason matchup that Gainwell was seeing a lot more work with the first team looking like an every down running back. So that was one thing that seemed a little odd. And then the fact that Boston Scott also sat out the game, the Eagles rested several players of their top three or I think top four wide receivers of obviously Dallas Goddard, uh, plenty of other players on the offense and defense. So um, they started swift. He played the first six snaps of the game, uh, broke a 22 yard run in there. His day was done after that point. Rashad Penny took over, uh, continue playing after Marcus Mariota was done as well. So Penny played for a while. Uh, Nick Sirianni said after the game that he just wanted to see some of these running backs uh, get tackled. So the first time they're getting tackled isn't in the regular season that we might see different running backs next week. So it'll be interesting to see what they do next week. Um, Generally, when you have veterans resting, it means they're at the top of the depth chart. So um, as of right now, I wouldn't be surprised if Gainwell is considered the starter in Philadelphia, but it was weird having Boston Scott, who is presumably the fourth guy on this depth chart, also get the day off. I know I've seen the theory that maybe it's because they're familiar with Gainwell and Scott, not as familiar with the other running backs, but we also had someone like Olamide Zacchaeus, the wide receiver that they added from the Atlanta Falcons uh, this offseason, he got a veteran day rest as well, and he's gotten some work with the ones at times during training camp. So um, they are arresting other people that they're less familiar with. I can sort of understand Sirianni's reasoning of let these guys get hit because they have had injury histories. They didn't play all of last season. Um, get They probably need a little bit more to get ready for the season than Gainwell and Scott do. So I could sort of see that argument. Um, in general, I updated my rankings several times before I published them, trying to figure out what to do with these guys. Uh, definitely moved Gainwell and Scott up, Swift and Penny down. Um, I still have Swift just barely as the top one from the group, but I have Gainwell not that far after, a little gap for Penny. And then Scott's the one I moved up the most just because he got the veteran day off, and it seems like he's still in this rotation. He's still a decent away away from these three players, but I basically had him very low, assuming he was not going to get playing time this year, but now he might get playing time, and there's at least a path of he could be the starter at some point of time. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting the way that the Eagles did it for this first preseason game, anyways, and it definitely leads a lot of questions. And 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 you mentioned it right, like maybe it has to do with that familiarity thing. I know they did something similar with their linebackers as well, right? Nicobe Dean 
who was with the team last year sat out and they rotated in a lot of these other newer guys and, and things like that. So, um, you know, maybe the coaching staff wants to give these guys who they do have questions about or haven't seen that much of in game situations a chance to get reps in in different situations and one drive doesn't always provide that opportunity so they'll they'll keep them in in the game a little bit longer and things like that we'll we'll, we'll see how this looks as we go a couple more preseason games here and because uh, it is just one game so far but um at the very least like you said Gainwell specifically should probably at least be getting drafted in a lot more drafts right now because most like non-best ball leagues he, he's nearing like 280 p so would think that that comes up a fair bit here in the next couple of weeks or so if this situation holds all right let's move on to another interesting running back situation in jacksonville uh this one is one that we touched on last episode but we actually get to see the situation play out on on a small sample size this weekend nate nate uh tank biggie bigs B versus Travis Tupac ETN has been a hot topic this offseason and has got the fantasy community divided. What did the Jags provide us in the way of usage for this backfield deployment? So he played one snap with the starters. It was a third and one. He came in for that short yarded situation. Uh, didn't end up getting the one yard there, but did play better later in the preseason with the backups. I saw plenty of people on the platform formerly known as Twitter um, call this a victory for ETN. But really, in my perspective, if anything, this is a negative for ETN, a positive for Bigsby, uh, just since typically we don't see rookie running backs play with the starters in the first week of the preseason. We weren't really seeing it last year. I think the only notable one was Brees Hall saw two snaps with the starters compared to seven by Michael Carter a year ago. Um, this year we had like Devin A. Chain fifth on Miami's depth chart based on who uh, didn't play and who played ahead of him uh, in Chicago. Roshan Johnson, I think, was fourth. Um, we saw Zach Charbonnet playing behind DJ Dallas completely in Seattle. So we've seen all of these running backs pretty far down depth charts compared to what we think they'll end up being, where the fact that Bigsby saw any snaps with the starters is a pretty clear indication that he's going to see snaps when the regular season hits. Uh, the fact that it was a short yarded situation is um, pretty important to note just because that's part of the reason they drafted Bigsby is ETN wasn't the best running back in terms of scoring touchdowns at the goal line, converting when they needed one or two yards. So this seems like a role that Bigsby can have in the regular season. And that's a role where you get the touchdowns at the one or two yard line. We saw that with Jamal uh, Williams and Detroit last year of Williams getting all those short touchdowns. So um, I don't think this is a case where Bigsby is definitely going to become the starter. I don't think he's going to see over 50% of chance snaps. I think it's at least possible, but I don't think that's a likely scenario. So I think like ETN's job as a starter is safe, but it could be fewer snaps than he was seeing at his peak last year, which hurts his fantasy production. So um, I think Bigsby is definitely someone worth drafting late in drafts at this point, just in case he starts seeing a bigger role and especially as a handcuff for ETN. But I'm definitely have been moving ETN slowly down my draft board. I moved in behind guys like Alexander Madison, Miles Sanders this past weekend. So um, I'm probably definitely not drafting him at his current ADP. Yeah, for sure. I, I, this has been something that I think pretty much all of us here, at, at least at PFF, have talked about it in some form or another. And that that is the it's the concern for ETN's usage and and with Bigsby on the team and his two day um, or day two draft capital and um, th this 
did give us at least a taste of, of that, you know, and again, on a smaller scale, but can kind of confirms the priors a little bit here that ETN just not really going to be worth that third round ADP if Bigsby is getting those short yardage situations and, and goal line touches. Um, you know, Bigsby at least could be fantasy relevant if he is getting those kind of high value touches there at the goal line specifically, right? So he's somebody that I think, you know, could be a value at his ADP, but ETN, like you said, you've been moving him down. I think that makes the most sense here um, based on what we saw from from this uh, from this first game anyways and what we've been hearing all offseason really. All right, from one rookie running back who we're optimistic about to one that at least after this weekend taking us to the Miami backfield, Nate, maybe one we're not as excited about. And uh, that is um, Devin A-Chain. For this Dolphins team, what were some of the things that you saw from their backfield? You know, guys, like um, who wh- who played, who didn't, when, they, when did they play, um, things like that. So they rested all of their starters across the offense, and I believe defense as well. That included Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson at running back. Um, they started Miles Gaskin, who's been on the team for a couple years now. Salvin Ahmed also saw some snaps uh, with the starters for the game, not starters with the team, but saw snaps all before A-Chain did. Uh, Gaskin looked pretty good. I know when I write my reports, I'm focusing almost entirely on how the players are used when they're used, not so much how well they perform. But I did note that Gaskin played well, 57 yards on seven carries. A-Chain as a rusher didn't do as well. Uh, through the first three quarters, gained 25 yards on his first 10 carries. Um, Did make a few nice catches in the fourth quarter, but that's the fourth quarter of a preseason game. So, like, this wasn't great news for A-Chain. It definitely isn't uh, overly negative news since we see running backs this far down the depth chart all the time. We saw this with Tyler Algier last year, uh, Rashad White, both fourth or fifth on the depth chart in their first preseason games, and then slowly but surely worked their way up. So, um, I definitely think A-Chain could see more playing time, could work his way up to third on the depth chart or even second at some point of time. But it definitely wasn't good news to have him this far down to begin with and to be uh, outperformed by some of the other players who have been on the team for a bit longer. Yeah, th- th- this was another one like we touched on last episode. Last episode, I was saying maybe the best we could hope for was to rule out some possible week one contributors by what they show us in, in these preseason games. And, and like you said, judging by this first one, it seems like a chain is probably the guy to avoid in drafts, especially as the one um, who is far and away the top drafted running back of the bunch while Mostert and Jeff Wilson are going much later. Um, not to say that a chain can't and won't work his way up the depth chart. Like you said, uh, maybe later in the season, but he's now starting to feel like, you know, for leagues that have already drafted, he could end up being one of those guys um, that's dropped in most leagues after week one, and then maybe gets worthy of a waiver claim uh, later in the season. Yeah. I will say I don't have my rankings memorized. I wouldn't be surprised if I still have a chain as the top, not because I expect him to do the most, but because he has the most upside. We saw what Mostert could do last year. We saw what Wilson could do last year. Mm-hmm. Neither of them were guys that you necessarily want starting, and they're still going to be competing with each other for snaps. Where A-Chain is at least the one that has the potential to maybe get there. Now it looks like the path will be a little bit harder for him to get there, but there's still at least a chance where I don't see that chance being as big for any of the other Miami running backs. That's fair, for sure. 
All right. Another ambiguous backfield provides us a, a better picture of what to expect. And that happens in Chicago as we got some clarity on who the leader in the clubhouse is, Nate, after what the Bears showed us at the running back position. Are we ready to move Khalil Herbert up the ranks? Did move Herbert up a little bit. I've got my Walter Payton jersey on to <laughs> represent Chicago running backs today, but uh, Herbert played all of the snaps with the starters, which all of those snaps were just two drives of three yards each because Justin Fields kept show- throwing short passes that ended up going several yards for touchdowns, so they didn't end up playing their starters all that much, so... Um, I think the big thing with Herbert is we have been hearing general good news for him recently. Um, he did uh, was the target of the pass that ended up getting one of those touchdowns. So the fact that he was in for that kind of passing situation is also good news, even though we've heard Foreman uh, potentially seeing more snaps in the past game. But Chicago, these past couple of years, it seemed like Herbert was the better runner. Montgomery was the better receiver. But Chicago never really went all the way in using their running backs in that kind of way. They were consistently playing David Montgomery the first two drives, Khalil Herbert the third drive. And I think they were the only team that really rotated by drive in that kind of way and were so consistent with it. Uh, had been doing it for two years now. So I kind of was amused that it was the same thing where Herbert played the first two drives here and then Foreman came in for the following drive. So made me think maybe that's the kind of approach that we might see this season. But I think it's too early to go all in on Herbert just because this is just six snaps. If they were longer drives, maybe they would have rotated their backs a little bit more. Um, There's still time since Herbert's the incumbent. So it kind of makes sense that he's the starter as well. But everything has kind of been pointing in a positive direction for Herbert, even though this isn't a clear cut. It's definitely his job. Yeah. Yeah. And and you touched on it, too, that maybe my favorite thing to come out of this game is Justin Fields earning a perfect NFL passer rating despite just three passes with a hilarious 105 percent of his passing yards coming after the catch. (laughs) Um, So for those keeping track, that's negative five percent air yards. Um, Incredible stuff. Hopefully something that we see hold up this season as far as the team at least providing some after the catch help for Fields because they were one of the lowest teams in the league last year and providing those kind of bonus yards for their quarterback and DJ Moore, who did break one uh, in that preseason game, is another guy who can definitely help with that given his history. Um, But anyways, back to the backfield. Yeah, like you said, if Herbert gets that David Montgomery usage, he'll definitely be worthy of getting drafted. I think much higher than his current ADP would suggest, which is like RB35 and and later on, on most sites. And Look, we, we've seen him be efficient with his touches. I mean, hell, he literally just took one reception for a 50-plus yard house call this preseason already. So if these Bears backs can get maybe, you know, a little bit more help too as far as efficiency goes with defenses maybe honing in more on Justin Fields as a runner, similarly to the Ravens with Lamar. And I know the Bears offensive line doesn't quite match up to what the Ravens have been, but that's just another reason with that potential, you know, yards per carry boost that Herbert can end up being one of the better values for this this season, especially um, if he can continue to hold off Deontay Foreman and, and Roshan Johnson. There. And I did note, um, we're all basing this off my top 10 article, which takes all of my recaps, summarizes it. So if you don't want to go through all of the details, you can just look at the top 10. I also noted there James Cook of the Buffalo Bills, kind of similar situation where you kind of expected him to see the, the majority of the snaps with the starters. He did play 100%. So it was good to see there, but it was also kind of expected. So another running back who seems to be the starter heading in a positive direction, but we don't know exactly how things will end up playing out. Love it. 
All right. Before we go any further, I do want to shout out one more of our sponsors, the good folks over at DraftKings. Want to get in on the fantasy action, but sick of managing your roster, sick of player injuries, ending your season? With Best Ball on DraftKings, you get the best of your team all season long. This year, Best Ball on DraftKings is bigger than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. For a limited time, you can join DraftKings' largest best ball contest ever and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is finished. Act now before this offer expires. To start playing best ball, download the DraftKings app using code PFF, enter DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest, and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scores. No ads, drops, trades, or I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament and you'll get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars only on DraftKings with code PFF. Call uh, Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued as 10 DraftKings dollars. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. All right, Nate, we got a few other running back situations that might need sorting off. Um, you listed a few of them here. Uh, a, a bunch of RB2 roles that could be up for grabs still in your article uh, for PFF.com today. The Patriots, Jets, Bengals, Colts, Titans, Chargers, and Cowboys. Uh, which of these do you think is the most interesting for fantasy purposes this year? Um, I think the two of them that were interesting for similar reasons, and that's Tennessee and Indianapolis, both because we had a rookie part of that rotation. We saw Evan Hall start for the Colts over Deion Jackson. So the fact that uh, Hall might already be ahead of Jackson, probably not the greatest sign for Jackson, despite um, his big games that he had last year. So I could see Hull factoring in, even with Jonathan Taylor back. And even if Zach Moss returns, I could see Hull being a factor, particularly in the past game on Tennessee. Hassan Haskins started the game, but Tajay Spears played most of the snaps on the first drive and ended up looking better than Haskins throughout the game. So Spears is someone that I wouldn't be surprised if he's the number two sooner rather than later. And then I think the other interesting one is the Patriots and that they were rotating three different players, uh, Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, more or less rotating by drive. But J.J. Taylor was also mixing in and passing situations for all of them. So uh, the fact that they were rotating so much and they weren't, like I said before, not looking at uh, performance in the preseason too much, but the Patriots running backs really didn't look that great. So um, even I would be less surprised now if they add a running back that I did before in free agency, just since it seems like a little bit of a mess there in their backup situation currently. Yeah, for sure. I, that, that Looking at that situation, the way it stood on uh, this first preseason game, I was starting to feel more and more uh, convinced that Ramondre Stevenson is going to dominate the touches this year. I, I know it's not, you know, typical of New England, but think again with Bill O'Brien coming in, his tendency to lean on one back, especially given Stevenson's skill set, uh, the lack of competition behind him now. I just feel like this ends up um, being far from a committee this year, as long as they don't bring somebody in. So, like you said, that's still a possibility. But based on these guys, um, you know, the players behind Stevenson, I think he's got a pretty good chance of um, getting a lot more touches this year as well. So, um, all right, enough about on, the. Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to touch on one last running back thing while yeah. I was thinking of it, since we mentioned Gus Edwards at the start. 
Um, It wasn't a rotation of running backs, but in Baltimore, we did see Justice Hill play before Gus Edwards and Hill got all of his snaps before Edwards got in. So Hill, there's a chance he's second on the depth chart at this point behind uh, J.K. Dobbins. Um, It was definitely interesting since they also played Josh Johnson at quarterback before Tyler Huntley. So Baltimore might have just been trying some weird stuff, but I think it's definitely something to look at, especially with uh, Hill's uh, record as a receiving running back in Baltimore wanting to pass the ball more. So at least a situation to keep an eye on that Hill might be more of a factor in Baltimore than we expected. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Yeah. I was going to say enough about the running backs. Now it's enough about the running backs. <laughs> uh, let's talk some wide receivers and start by focusing on some of the important usage notes um, that you observed in these games, especially when it comes to which wide receivers were in and out in 11 personnel. Um, this is important because it could tell us which players will see more snaps and, and run more routes, which naturally comes with more targets. Um, so Nate, you pulled a bunch of very useful information on this from these first preseason games, uh, which key players did you notice that were in and out of 11 personnel uh, for these games? Sure. Kristen Kirk was probably the biggest surprise with Jacksonville with Calvin Ridley now there. Um, it wasn't surprising to see Calvin Ridley playing in two wide receiver sets, but Kirk was playing in those formations 89% of the time last year. Zay Jones um, only 60 something percent of the time, but Zay Jones was taking those snaps over Kirk. Um, It's not entirely surprising since typically it's a slot receiver who's not playing in those two receiver sets and Kirk's the slot receiver for Jacksonville. So not the biggest surprise in the world, but it still probably means a decrease in snaps for Kirk this season whenever they're in two tight end sets. Um, I know if you kind of look at the charts that I post and how many routes he was running compared to the other receivers, how many snaps he was playing, it does look a little deceiving since Jacksonville was using some 13 personnel, a little bit more 12 personnel as well than I'd expect. So expect Kirk to see more playing time than he saw with the starters in this game, running more routes than he saw with the starters in this game, just not as many snaps as he was seeing last season. Um, I noted in the article that roughly 21% of all fantasy production occurs when there's two wide receivers on the field or less. So that isn't a death sentence to wide receivers by any mean. It just caps the ceiling a little bit more. Um, Jackson Smith and Ajigba is another one. Um, no surprise that he's going to be a slot player in Seattle, um, but the Seattle rested a number of starters in this game. And even then Smith and Jigba was only playing in three wide receiver sets. Typically I would expect a player, if he is going to play in any situation in the regular season, they'd at least try him out there in the preseason. That's been a pretty clear trend with tight ends over the years that if they're only playing in 11 personnel or only playing in two tight end sets, that that's probably how they'll be used in the regular season. So at least early in the season, Smith and Jigba, I'd expect only to be in three wide receiver sets. So not expecting Tyler Lockett's playing time to be in danger anytime soon. Uh, similarly, Jaden Reed with the Packers only played in 11 personnel, even when backups were coming in. So again, don't expect him to be a threat to Romeo Dobbs playing time anytime soon, Um, especially with these rookies, though, it could just be the teams trying to only put so much on their plate to begin with and will slowly add to it. So um, with Kirk, I'm probably more concerned for the season as a whole, but with some of these rookies, it's probably more this is the trend of how we'll see things early in the season and then later in the season, things could change. Um, I will note with Reed, he was playing almost entirely in the slot, which Green Bay traditionally has rotated players in and out of the slot more. 
Um, Green Bay uses their slot receivers a lot more than other teams. So this could be some good news for Reed that he was only playing in the slot because a lot of Green Bay's production comes there. So that might be good news for Reed and bad news for Dobbs and Christian Watson. And then noted at least a dozen other wide receivers in the article that were only playing in the slot. Uh, Rondale Moore, Nicole Hardman, two more that not 100%, but were playing behind other players and two wide receivers for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting stuff there. I, I mean, you know, Kirk, like you said, he, he played the 76% of his snaps in the slot last season, still played almost every passing down snap for them in 12 personnel as well, um, led the team in that regard. So yeah, just not sure if this is something that they're, they're actually planning on doing much differently this year, but now maybe with, with Calvin Ridley on the team, um, they feel as having those longer, like six foot one plus wide receivers like Ridley and Zay Jones just suits that personnel better. Um, it, it's definitely a great spot by you. It's something to keep an eye on as we work through this preseason and, and into the early regular season as well. Yeah. And it could be something where like anytime Ridley or say Jones needs a break in 12 personnel, Kirk will be ready to go in. So it doesn't necessarily need to be a hundred percent and zero percent. Like it was in this game. It could be like 80% and 60% and 60% or something like that. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. Once we get a larger sample size, it's, it's definitely easier to kind of tell what that what that breakdown is going to be. So, um, let's go on to a quick recap of the first round first round wide receivers that we saw this weekend, and and we did see all four of them in action. Uh, you mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba, but we also got Quentin Johnston, uh, Zay Flowers, and Jordan Addison. We all love rookies, and and when we get to see them in action, it's easy to overreact to every target thrown their way. Um, that being said, is it crazy to believe that Quentin Johnston and Jackson Smith and Jigba will sustain 50% target rates for the rest of the season now? Yeah, I don't quite think that will happen. It was uh, kind of interesting that all four of these wide receivers kind of found themselves in similar situations this first week of the preseason. All their teams rested their starters. A lot of them rested another top veteran backup as well. So this really didn't give us any indication of where these guys sit on the depth chart because the vast majority of the time teams are playing their rookies, even if they might be ahead of a veteran at this point of the preseason. So not entirely surprising to see um, all these guys play. All of them started the game, saw the majority of the snaps, at least early on in their games. Um, Quinton Johnston is someone that I note who had a, a somewhat poor performance, uh, had a drop in there. Um, he did score a touchdown near the end. I know there's been talk of him dropping passes in training camp as well. I uh, just wanted to say not too worried about that. We haven't seen drops being too much of a sustainable thing for wide receivers. So not worried about Johnston from that perspective. If anything, my worry is that Josh Palmer also had the day off. So maybe Johnston isn't the wide receiver three to begin the season. And then... Uh, Zay Flowers was interesting in that they moved him around a little bit, was playing on the outside in the slot. Um, Devin Duvernay, who's typically been their slot receiver, was also playing in this game, but playing out wide almost all of his snaps. So Flowers was seeing more time in the slot than Duvernay is. So that's, in my opinion, one less receiver that Flowers has to worry about for offensive snaps this season. And the fact that he was playing multiple positions probably means they're going to move him around a bit in the regular season as well. So I saw the usage of him to be a positive, even though we didn't see where he stood amongst the other players. And then Jordan Addison just played well in his time. So um, had a nice catch, had another catch that wasn't ruled a catch, but uh, if you watch the play, it definitely was. And it was very impressive. So he was the highest graded wide receiver 
uh, this past week among those with at least 10 routes in the first half of games. So can't tell too much out of just one preseason game and two catches, but it was at least a positive to see him there. Um, I will also note he played almost entirely out wide. So um, that could mean more snaps in the slot by Jefferson and Osborne and more snaps in the slot by Jefferson could be a good thing for him. Yeah. Yeah. That Jordan Addison catch was pretty crazy. And it, and there was a few good examples actually already just from this weekend, why the PFF grades um, matter more than just looking at the box score, right? The Jordan Addison catch being one of them. We, we collect that data there and would recognize that it was a catch. And, you know, there was Trey Lance as well, throwing a touchdown, but it going off the hands, which should have been an easy interception. <laughs> but um, yeah, this, this was fun for at least to get to see these rookie wide receivers. Obviously the 50% target rate would not be sustainable. Um, um, but I did I did find it interesting, you know, I was looking at the Ravens because obviously this is one of the bigger um, offensive scheme changes potentially that we might see this year. And it, I thought it was interesting that on the game overall, the, the Ravens were well below average um, league average in 11 personnel, though their first two drives. So the snaps that Flowers was in the game, they spent 70 percent of those snaps in 11 personnel, which is an up above average rate um, and on multiple occasions they were spread out four wide with Isaiah likely also lined up in the slot so so something to keep an eye on there as far as their offensive formations kind of evolve now with with Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator yeah it'll be interesting to see that going forward since I think the Ravens only had three or four tight ends active in the game so that could have also influenced things of not wanting too much two tight end sets to not have the tight ends play too much because likely was the starter, even though he's probably good enough to not have to play in the game. It just I think they might have been down some players or just not have that many on the roster to begin with. But that's just off the top of my head. Yeah, no, that's definitely it. Um, all right, let's go to let's do one more ad right here. Um, and that is our friends at Manscaped. If you haven't heard already, it's smooth sack summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're scaped from pubes to bum. That's right. This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below the waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh. Dive headfirst into smooth sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code PFF. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. They have built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch, can engage a travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Beach, lake, or shower, this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to the Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and Shed Travel Bag. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. It's smooth sex summer, boys. Get on board or get left behind. All right. Um, in somewhat of a follow-up from last episode, we mentioned this player's ADP fall being the largest among wide receivers. And, and after this game, we may have evidence that to further cement that fall on our draft boards, Nate Tyquan Thornton of the New England Patriots, he made a nice catch that had people excited, but what is some of the context for Thornton from this game that should probably temper that excitement for 2023? 
Sure. So first off, the Patriots rested plenty of players. This included Juju Smith-Schuster, Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, so their top three wide receivers. Then they started uh, Kayshawn Bodie and Demario Douglas. Uh, their two sixth-round rookies started the game over Taekwon Thornton. Thornton was one of those players who was only playing in 11 personnel. So uh, Douglas only played the first two snaps of the game, and then his day was done. So uh, Belichick gave a fairly Belichick answer when asked about it of just uh, the playing time was based on what he's seen in practice or something to that extent. So uh, Douglas has been getting a lot of rave reviews recently. So it seems like Douglas could very well already be fourth on the depth chart above Taekwon Thornton. So even though Thornton was, did make a nice catch and had uh, two targets in this game on his 10 routes with the starters, um, it came at a point when backups were playing. And after he was a second round pick who saw, a decent amount of playing time, you would kind of expect him to be among those players who maybe got a veteran day off or maybe played a couple of snaps and then left the game early like Douglas did. So um, this is a pretty decent indication that he currently sits fifth on the depth chart. It'll be hard to see him surpass Douglas at this point since typically once a rookie gets ahead of a veteran, they stay ahead of the veteran unless something pretty dramatic happens. And uh, Kendrick Bourne have been all good reports and Smith-Schuster and Parker both got new contracts this year. So um, I don't see Thornton really working his way back up the depth chart at this point. So um, he could make the roster at fifth. It also wouldn't be entirely surprising if he doesn't end up making the roster or if the Patriots try to move him or something. So um, probably not drafting Thornton at this point. And Douglas is someone who's been moving up uh, my dynasty rankings in particular, but could very well. I did post my 400 rankings this week. I don't know if Douglas made the top 400 off the top of my head, but definitely getting near that range at the very least. Yeah, this this for me, at least in regards to Thornton, I pretty much seals him as like a kind of do not draft for me this year. I mean, maybe something happens in season to make him worthy of like a waiver wire claim, but I'm just not that invested in this offense enough to be spending a draft pick on any New England receiving option that isn't going to be among their top three-ish in, in their passing game here. All right, let's close things out with a few notes from the tight ends of the league and start with Sean Payton's Denver Broncos. Uh, it was a rough start for the offense as a whole, and Payton kept the starters out there for, for longer than expected, which I'm not sure if that was the original plan or not, or if they just looked so off that he wanted to get them some more reps and hopefully build a little confidence. The good thing, for us at least as fantasy observers is that we got a larger sample of snaps with the starting offense to give us some more hints and clues as to what to expect. So Nate, what did we see from Peyton's offense specifically in regards to the tight end position? Yeah, it's been nice for weeks now talking about Sean Peyton and having a bunch of his guys from the saints on the team right now and seeing that play out this week. Um, it was a very clear pattern with the tight ends. Adam Trotman was always in on first and second downs. Greg Dolchitz was always in on third downs. And then the two were together in two tight end sets. So um, that's definitely a decrease in playing time for Greg this season compared to what we saw last season. Uh, Trotman, someone that the last time that he was healthy with Sean Payton at, as his coach, uh, he was playing over 80% of offensive snaps with the Saints in 2021 at that time. So I definitely expect Trotman to be a very significant part of this offense in terms of at least being on the field. Uh, note Chris Manhurts uh, didn't play in this game. Another free agent addition, he was a run blocker. 
um, and could play in two tight end sets as well. So that could mean even less time. I think the one saving grace here is looking at quotes from Sean Payton over these past couple months. He did refer to uh, Greg Dulcich as a joker, which is similar to uh, what Taysom Hill has been called or even going back further, someone like Darren Sproles. So someone who has been major factors in Peyton's offenses in the past, playing a very unique role in the offense. And this is the preseason. I wouldn't expect them to be doing any of the crazy stuff that we might expect in season. So I do think even though his playing time could decrease, there could be uh, some opportunities for him to be a big part of the offense and even maybe see some carries, even though he's never done that in the pros or in college before, but the other jokers in the past have been factors in the run game. So possible he is too. So did move him down my ranking some, but I still think he's worthy of being a sleeper just because he has gotten some praise from Sean Payton before and potentially could have a role in the offense that could be very beneficial. But I think the odds of him becoming a consistent fantasy starter are lower now than they were before. Yeah, for sure. As somebody who listed Dolchich as one of my like breakout tight ends for this season, I thought he could have like a pretty decent sized role in this offense. But yeah, if it's going to be like this, what we saw in this game, he's splitting significant snaps coming off the field a bunch. There, there might be better tight end two options to kind of take flyers on um, in drafts at this point. But yeah, hope still hoping for that uh, that that Joker role, like you said, that could pay off nicely. Um, but speaking of better tight end two options to target, how about some more rookie tight end talk? Um, this has been a pretty Hot topic these last few weeks of camp, but the hype around this year's rookie tight end classes only continue to grow this offseason as a number of these guys are working as the top tight ends in their offense. Reports are glowing about their potential as receivers. Um, Nate, which of the rookie tight ends stood out to you the most um, from this past weekend's games? Yeah, we have three of them that had pretty significant roles uh, with the starters. Um, Detroit rested a bunch of their players, but at tight end, they played all of their healthy tight ends. So uh, Sam Laporta played in this game. He took all of the snaps in 11 personnel, all of the snaps in 12 personnel, just came off the field for 21 personnel. Uh, we've seen plenty of tight ends um, have this kind of role. It's similar to what, uh, ironically, TJ Hawkinson has in Minnesota right now, where he plays a lot in 11 and 12, doesn't play in 21 personnel. But 21 personnel, uh, more often than not, is a running formation. They run the ball when there's a fallback on the field. So definitely not the worst thing for tight ends. So the fact that Laporta is already ahead of Brock Wright and the other Detroit tight ends is a good sign that he should keep this job and have it a week one and going forward. So um, he should be on the field running plenty of pass routes. Um, At this point, the only thing is um, how well he can do, how often he'll get targeted, but being on the field is a big battle for rookie tight ends. And he's already uh, gotten to that point. Um, Luke Musgrave with the Packers, the second one, uh, played 100% of snaps with the starters. Um, it was good news in that um, they also drafted uh, Tyler Kraft in the third round. Um, he only came in for two tight end sets with the starters. Uh, Tyler Davis, who is another tight end on the roster, played with them the last couple of years, didn't play with the second team, and unfortunately he suffered a season-ending injury. So uh, while it was good at the time to see that Musgrave was ahead of him on the depth chart, now it's unfortunate that He's out with an injury. Um, I will note uh, Josiah DeGuara of the Packers was out for this game. He was uh, 
part of their rotation last year. So it's not a hundred percent that Musgrave will be the every down player at this point, but definitely a positive sign. And then the last tight end Dalton Kincaid um, first three snaps of the game with the starters played as an inside tight end uh, playing right next to Dawson Knox. So playing a traditional tight end role uh, first drive didn't give us any indication of F one or the other is the starter. Uh, next drive, it was all Kincaid, but Knox never came back into the game. So this could be a case where the starter only played a little bit and then came out before everyone else. We saw this with DJ Moore with Chicago. Um, Aaron Jones with the Packers played one snap and then his day was done. So we've seen a number of cases of guys just playing a snap or two and then calling it a day. So that could have been what happened with Knox here. It could also be that Kincaid's already surpassed Knox as the tight end for 11 personnel. So definitely something to watch but no great way of knowing just based off of this first preseason game but it was good to see Kincaid both line up as a traditional tight end as well as lining up in the slot yeah yeah and the same thing with Musgrave too right like I I found that really encouraging and and I might be a bit biased when it comes to Musgrave because I'm a big fan of his I love his potential as a receiver and for fantasy I know he you know I wrote him up as one of my guys heading into the NFL draft and I was ready to spend a late first round NFL draft pick on this guy because I liked him so much you you know he's six foot six very high-end athlete for the position he scored a 977 relative athletic score as well you know I know he missed a huge chunk of last season with an injury but in the games that he played it, it was pretty clear that Oregon State was ready to build their offense around this guy he had 11 catches for 169 yards and a touchdown through just two games in 2022 3.38 yards per route run again uh, you know it's a small sample size but even in the senior bowl we saw some of that special receiving ability as well um i know renner had listed him as as the best vertical threat in this class um but yeah i just watched all of his routes from this past weekend and honestly i'm, I'm even more excited about him for this season he lined up in line and in the slot Always found separation, great feel for zone coverage. He beat man coverage with speed, even had a wide open potential huge gainer where Jordan Love overthrew him early in the first quarter. Um, you could just kind of tell he knows how to make himself a quarterback friendly target as well. See, you could see him find space and scramble drills, always looking to work back to the ball in deeper zone coverages. So the question is going to be if Love can get him the ball. But all the potential is there for him as a receiving option. And I just love to see that, you know, he's getting that tight end one usage already as a rookie. It's very promising. So excited about that. All right. That is going to do it for our fantasy portion. Again, if you have any fantasy questions from this first week's worth of preseason games, definitely check out Nate's articles on pff.com he did the top 10 um highlights from this preseason things to keep an eye on and uh recap for every single game so everything that you would need is going to be found on pff.com written by nathan yonke there so check that out for sure um and then we'll just keep it rolling uh in the next uh through the next few weeks so we will be back for episodes but before we do that before we sign off we do have another five round draft that we have to get done here uh, coming off of the best throwback NFL jerseys, um, which I snuck out a win in. Um, so I'm back, back on top here, broke the tie. We are moving over to the best pre 2020 or pre 2010, sorry, video games. Um, so this is across all consoles. As long as the game came out prior to 2010, Nate, you have the first pick here. I know you mentioned you haven't played video games in like 10 years, so this works out well for you. How are you feeling about this one? 
I'm honestly not sure how to feel about it since I don't know what all video games you enjoy to play. So I don't know exactly how to draft my strategy. I know we play Goose Goose Duck, which has yep. come out in the last couple of years. So neither of us can draft that one. But outside of that, I really don't know what your strategy is going to be. So I have no idea if this is going to be one where you're sniping me every other pick or if it's going to be like uh, when we did the Alien movies ones where I basically got my five and you got your five and we didn't really conflict with each other all that much. So we'll see how this goes. Um, It was also difficult for me to figure out what should go number one overall since there's a number of them where it's like, well, there's this video game, but if I don't get that, I can get another one later in the draft and those kind of things. Um, I looked a little bit on what different lists had for best video games of all time. So I feel like I should at least get this one classic because there's nothing that really compares to it. And that's Tetris. Um, Tetris still lives up to its legacy to this day. It's still fun to play and it's simple, but it works. And um, I played a game recently that's very similar to Tetris. So I feel like it stood the test of time and there's been no like duplicate of it that stands up next to it. So um, because of its uniqueness, and I don't think I can get something like Tetris later in this draft, I'll get Tetris with the first pick. Yeah, Tetris is a great call. That, 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 that Again, look, we're looking at like classic video games, and I think that's going to do well for, for voters who recognize Tetris as definitely one of the best games of all time. It was on my list as well. Um, so for me, oh man, all right, I'm going to go... You're right. That first overall pick is tough because it could go different ways here. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time uh, from 1998. That one is for the N64. Um, a lot of people's best Zelda game of all time. It's very close for me, but it is not number one. There is a more recent one that is top for me, but within 2010, um, Ocarina of Time to me is uh, top of the charts. This is where I'm glad I didn't put too much time trying to figure out my rankings because now <laughs> that I have like this one piece of information that you're going to go with a Nintendo 64 game first yeah. makes me think that I should make sure I get some Nintendo 64 while I still can. So I'm going to go with Super Mario 64. Remember playing that a ton when it came out. I think that was Nintendo 64 the first time that I was able to have my own video game system. So we'll have a lot of classics from that one in my memory but just going from 2d mario to 3d mario for the first time that was a lot of fun to play so and it also yeah. ranks high on plenty of the list that i looked at so i was also glad that there was at least a couple video games that um, other people thought ranked high that i also thought ranked high yeah yeah that's that's a great call i mean it was definitely on my list here so um now that i've, I've yeah i, I don't want to give you any more of my strategy so I, i'm gonna switch it up again here um so this time okay uh super mario world from 1990 uh it's a super nintendo game um again it's a 2d side scroller it's not the it's not the 3d mario which yeah i think super mario 64 is the superior one but i i gotta put this one up there hopefully some of the 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 boomers like myself um prefer uh the super nintendo version and then that i could steal a few votes that way and also go with a super mario game there. Um, I'm going to have to stick with the Nintendo theme, though, but go to a different Nintendo system for this. I'm going to go with Pokemon Red um, for the Game Boy. That was my first Pokemon game. Played it far more than I played any other Pokemon game. And I think that's the classic one that everyone remembers when they think of Pokemon to begin with. So 
Um, there have definitely been some other good Pokemon games that are worth considering, but in this case, I think it's best to go with the original. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, most people respect the the original, whatever. What was it, 150 or 151 or something like that? There's 51, yeah. Yeah, there's just so many right now. There, there, there's It's impossible to keep track of. So best to go with the original there for sure. Um, all right. My next one, I'm going to go, oh God, I'm going to go Metal Gear Solid. Um, it's 1998 and it's for the original PlayStation, PlayStation 1. Um, but Metal Gear Solid was like, for me, it was like the first game that told me that video games can be like really, really cool uh, and badass. And um, as much as I liked like some of the first person shooters on the N64, Metal Gear Solid was uh, was the ultimate for me. So that one really got me into games. So I, I got to put that on the list. There. Um, we are a sports podcast, and so I do feel like I need to get at least one sports game. But I feel like if I go with a sports game and it's not Madden, then you're gonna go swipe Madden away from me. So I'm gonna get Madden NFL 2004. Um, the one where Michael Vick more or less broke the game, but um, being able to have Michael Vick throw and run as well as he was able to do in that game, and I think that's the year that they introduced like the ownership version of the franchise mode so that you can own a team. So that added a new level. Um, one thing that um, at one point I was hiring all of our part-time people at pro football focus. And there was just a consistent thing that you see of people of people would play Madden and they wouldn't necessarily always be playing the game, but they would do the franchise mode and would love doing the franchise mode without the game. So I think that kind of element is something that people that listen to our podcast probably like as well. So happy to get Madden as at least having one sports game on my list. Yeah. Good call. And yeah, the Madden um, franchise mode uh, piece of the resume. I I've noticed even when I was doing the part-time hiring a couple of years ago, it's still very common. It still shows up quite a bit, uh, but yeah, good call. And yeah, that, that was the game. I actually bought a Michael Vick jersey because of that game. Um, <laughs> so it's a good, that's a good one. Um, my next one is going to be, I guess I'll come back to Nintendo 64 and I'm going to go GoldenEye 007. Um, to me, the best multiplayer game. I know there's everything else that's come after it, the the Halos and, and Call of Duties of the world, but uh, GoldenEye set the standard um, right away. And to this day, to me, at least as somebody who grew up with that game, it, it still can't be beat. So um, playing that with like a bunch of friends and stuff was, was definitely the best time. So I got to put GoldenEye uh, in there. I think that's a very deserving entry. I have one pick left and I have like four different ones that I'm choosing from that I'm like, which one are the voters going to like the most? Or do I want to pick one that's similar to ones that I've already picked? But I think I have to pick one that I feel like has stood the test of time is a classic and that I also enjoyed playing a lot, even though I didn't expect that I'd enjoy playing it a lot. And that's Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. Um, I was never someone who skated. I'd never got a skateboard, but that game just there's something about it that was really enjoyable to play and made me more interested in the sport than anything else has. So and looking at some lists, it still ranks high on some of the all time lists. So also happy to see that and have it come to my mind since it's probably not something that I think about the most compared to some of these other games where there's newer versions of the game that I'd consider playing. But I think Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, definitely one of the more unique, fun games of all time. 
Yeah, I like that. I actually like that pick. I completely forgot about Tony Hawk, but it, it brought back memories for sure of going to like friends' houses. And I was never good at it, but I used to watch people play it and, and get really good at it. I would just mash buttons and try to do the combos and stuff, and it never worked out. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a fun game for sure. Um, all right, my last pick. Oh man, it is tough. Like I, I was gonna put, I was gonna put Batman Arkham Asylum in here. I thought about Grand Theft Auto Four, San Andreas, Final Fantasy Seven. I think I'm gonna go. Oh god, I think I'm gonna go. This is so. This is so stupid. I'm gonna go Resident Evil Four. Um, for it was for the GameCube originally. It's 2005, but such a great game. It is beloved in the franchise of Resident Evil and it still holds up to this day and it's been remastered and remade for basically every console since that it's come out um, and it's still getting remade today. There's a, the, even an updated newest version that came out, I think this year, but just such a fun game um, that I'm going to put that maybe I should have put one of the other ones, GTA or Batman or um, Final Fantasy instead, but going to go with yeah. Resident Evil 4 and see what see how that works out for me. Yeah, I was also thinking The Sims, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, Super Smash Brothers, any of the versions that came out that early. I'm not sure how I could leave all of those off. A Wii Sports, I think, counts based on the criteria, and that one was definitely different for its time. So yeah. definitely lots of good options. So maybe we'll need some other top video games that has more specific category at some point, maybe for a specific console or something like that. But definitely yeah. left a lot of good video games on the table. There's a ton. Yeah, we're going to probably catch some shit for some of these. But um, yep. yeah, there's a lot of good options. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do another video game poll uh, in the near future here. But um, that that's going to do it for another episode of the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I hope you all found those many preseason nuggets insightful and helpful to get you ready for the 2023 season. Nate, um, again, a huge thank you to you for grinding through all the data from preseason week one so that we can get sorted for fantasy season. I know you have a bunch of new stuff going up on the site in the coming days. So please let the people know what they have to look forward to this week. Yeah, I think I'll just focus on this weekend today and tomorrow since we're going to be back on the podcast tomorrow. So I'll hope anyone listens then and can hear what I have even later in the week. But definitely this weekend had all of my recap articles, had my top 10 go up today, which honestly, if you listen to this entire thing, you probably don't need to read my top 10 recap. You're probably going to be more interested in all of my individual game recaps at this point based on what we talked about today, basically matching that article, but also had my top 400 updated rankings go up today. Um, I had a number of requests with my perfect draft article series to cover a 14 team league. So did a 14 team draft strategy that went up today, uh, continuing to do player profiles tomorrow will be uh, top five league winners, uh, breakout wide receivers. I'm going to update my perfect draft strategy for 12 team leagues at individual picks. So that'll be throughout the week and then more player profiles. Beautiful. Love it. And yeah, for me, um, I did the IDP preseason takeaways from each of this past weekend's games. That's up on the site. I'm going to be doing, I think coming out uh, Wednesday will be my dark horse wide receiver ones. Then I'll do tight end one candidates as well. Um, and then for the zero running back crowd, I have a draft strategy piece also coming out later this week that will focus on starting drafts, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, and what that looks like for this season. Um, I, I also want to give a massive shout out to the PFF data team. Um, this is the extraordinary 
extraordinary group of guys and gals that without them, we wouldn't have all this wonderful data to pour through on a weekly basis. Just an elite team of data collectors from the part-time crew all the way up to the senior management. There is no better data team on the planet than what we have here at PFF. And for that, I can't thank them enough for all their hard work that they do and continue to do all season long to get us the best football data on the planet. Dare I say the universe, truly the unsung heroes here. So if you know any of them, be sure to tell them thank you as well. Um, All right, that'll do it. We'll be back tomorrow covering running back draft strategies. So be sure to tune in then subscribe to the PFF fantasy YouTube channel, as well as the PFF fantasy discord. And until next time, peace out.